Good morning, Victory Church of Charlottesville. This is the day that the Lord has made, and we absolutely rejoice and are glad in it. My name is Paul. I'm privileged to serve as pastor of Victory Church of Charlottesville. So good to have you joining us this morning and making us your church home for the next 30 or so minutes. Thank you for being here, and thank you for making the time. Uh, we have not a guest, not a not a, a unfamiliar face nor voice. Uh, we have one of our own here at Victory Church of Charlottesville here to bring the word. And, and, and for those of you who know who he is might ask, well, why are you saying anything about him? Well, there may be some as we have each week joining us for the first time. And I wanted to make sure to do right by introducing Dr. Joseph Williams this morning. He has spoken with us before. If you were with us in person, you saw him on the stage every so often uh, sharing a word about why we give uh, or, or facilitating a transition moment on stage. You may have seen him during the pandemic um, sharing as part of a Q&A on what social justice looks like as an extension of our faith in the education community, and then uh, just a, a, a sermon that God had given uh, to him uh, not too long ago uh, in this virtual pulpit as well. So again, not unfamiliar, so I'm presenting to many of you, but maybe introducing to some others. And so for that reason, I wanted to share just a little bit some of some by way of uh, more formal bio, but also by way of commentary. Anytime I get a chance to, to uh, dare I say, brag on the servant leaders that fill this house, um, that fill this house of Victory Church. I'm gonna highlight one today, but we're filled with servant leaders. What do I mean by that? For example, when we started at Victory Church, there were just things to be done. <laughs> and we have a, a group of people who, who didn't say Joseph Williams being one, well, you know, I got a PhD. So if I'm going to do anything, it would need to be in this lane. Um, rather, the commentary quite word for word was, however, I can help, however, I can serve. And that he has done. He served in a lot of different areas, but I'll highlight one, the setup and tear down team, which included moving a trailer, uh, which included getting the things in place for kids ministry to run, which included getting all of you know the AV equipment inside and set up on the stage. It, it included things that you wouldn't see normally because you just show up and it's there. Uh, but at 7.30 a.m. prior to our 10.30 start of service, he was there with his team leading them. Uh, and I knew pretty early on as I was involved in a lot of things that I no longer needed to be involved with that uh, because of his leadership capacity, but even more the grace on his life uh, clearly from the Lord. And as evidence of any leader's influence, uh, I would guess even by now that anybody on that team could go and lead that team because of how he has led. So that's my brief commentary. And and and, and uh, I can go on about the colleague that he is at UVA, the amazing husband he is to Erica Williams and father to their three amazing children. But I'll go and read some of his formal bio and get out the way so he can speak what God has given to him. He's been with Victory since 2018. He's, again, I reference served as the uh, setup and teardown coordinator. He led a Victory group the summer after the, the pandemic. It was a critical one for all of us. And yet we dove into the color of compromise in that virtual space. And he led uh, an amazing group experience for the folks who were able to be a part. He is from Kansas City, Kansas. Uh, I mentioned his bride, Erica, to whom he's been married for 10 years and their amazing three children who have been gifts to our family and our kids, Eli, Autumn, and Naomi. Um, just amazing gifts from God that they steward well. Uh, I also referenced him as a colleague. He's an associate professor 
at the University of Virginia in the School of Education. And he's been a consultant, a trainer, a, an author of racial and social justice issues for 10 years. He's a gift to this community. And I don't just mean victory, but uh, Charlottesville and the broader central Virginia and state, uh, if we're honest, and we are blessed to have him locally here. Uh, and so we're grateful for Joseph Williams. He's been living here now in Charlottesville for close to four years, um, having moved here from the DC metro area. So Dr. Joseph Williams, thank you. I am gonna get out of your way and let's give him a virtual welcome. Thank you, Pastor Paul, for that, uh, that introduction. Uh, appreciate you, brother, uh, as well as thank you for the opportunity to, to share this morning. Um, welcome and good morning, Victory Church. Uh, if you're, if you're joining us for the first time, you've kind of stumbled upon our ongoing series entitled Reconcile to God and Each Other, where we've been examining off and on over the last two months what the Bible has to say about the mission of Victory Church, which is to see people reconciled to God and to each other. Our message uh, is entitled today, The Greatest Commandment Reveals Our Greatest Need, right? So again, the message that we're gonna talk about today from Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 34, it's entitled, The Greatest Commandment Reveals Our Greatest Need. And then the main point is, is simple. Right? To, to love God and to love each other requires that we're reconciled to God and to a lesser extent, each other, right? And so I wanna show how the, 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 those two truths are, are linked, right? That you actually can't have one without the other. And so again, the main point today is simply, right? For us to actually love God and to, to love each other requires that we are first reconciled to God and to a lesser extent to, to, to each other. I must confess this morning um, that kind of preparation um, over the last week or two has been really difficult, um, mainly uh, as it relates to studying what it means to love in, in, in a world that seems to be full of everything but love. I have to confess that at times I've been distracted by the, uh, the ongoing trial regarding the murder of George Floyd, uh, the onslaught of mass shootings, which seems to be daily now, and even the continuous killings of unarmed black and brown people at the hands of, of white police officers, right? Specifically, we're talking about the high profile cases of um, Dante Wright and, and Adam Toledo, right? And those are just the high profile cases, right? So it's, it's been a discouraging week uh, for a lot of different reasons, uh, but mainly those. But, but I'm reminded that, that, that we don't, that, that I don't put my, my hope and my faith in the world um, or the movements of the world or the people of the world, but I put my hope and faith in, in, in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, right? That after spending time kind of studying what, what it means to love and, and what agape love is, I'm convinced that the love of God has the power to transform us that the love of God has the power to, to remove the scales of our eyes so that we may see the, the uniqueness and the, and, and the beauty of the, the racial and the ethnic and the gender identity that come from God, which are gifts from God, that we may see that, that, that we are image barriers of God, right? And that that truth would help us to overcome the stereotypes and the, the racial prejudices and, and, and the biases that we have towards others, right? And, and, and if I'm totally honest with you this morning, the reason why this week has been so hard is because I, I see myself and, and, and Dante Wright and Adam Toledo. I, I, I see some of the poor choices that I've made as a, as, as, as a young middle school kid and, and a high school kid and even a young adult, right? But the difference between me and, and between them is that they don't get a chance to kind of redeem and to turn around their behavior, to start a new chapter in their life. Right? And so again, I, I, I present this message to you this morning deeply grieved, deeply sorrowed, uh, but also deeply hopeful, right? 
hopeful not in the things of this world, but, but in Jesus Christ, who, who holds the world together. Right? So, so let, let's pray. Dear Lord, I, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for those who are, who are listening, those who may be live streaming. I, I pray that you would actually just implant the word of God into their hearts, into my heart. Uh, we pray for a world. We pray that you would heal us from both the, 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 the racial pandemic as well as the, the virus of COVID. I pray for those who are out as we speak protesting against police violence, that you would be with them, that you would comfort them, that you would use this as an opportunity to, 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 to show your love, to, to witness to them. I pray for the law enforcement officers who are, who are engaging in their, their sworn duty to protect, that you would allow them to look out into the crowd of protesters and to see the people of God, to see people who are scared and who are hurting to see people who are upset, right? And that they would actually police them in accordance, right? I pray for the families of those in Indiana and, and, and those in other parts of the United States and the world globally who have been victims of, 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 of mass shootings, right? I pray that you would be with them, that you would comfort them, that you would give them peace, that you would show your, your love for them. Thank you, Jesus. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So again, we're, we're, we're going to talk today um, as it relates to the greatest commandment revealing our greatest need. And so we're going to camp out today in Mark, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12, verses 28 through 34. Right. So Mark, again, chapter 12, verses 28 through 34. And, and again, I, I want to give a little bit of context there that that Mark starts his biography of Jesus with the, the startling claim that Jesus is the son of God. And what unfolds throughout the book of Mark is a compelling account of a remarkable life that actually seems to kind of back up the claim at every single point. Right? Mark's gospel is about the oldest gospel written, the first recorded, and it's the shortest of the four accounts of the gospel in terms of the life of Jesus in the Bible. It's a very fast-paced gospel. You actually can read through the book of Mark in less than two hours. Right? There's no wasted words. Mark writes in six chapter what in six chapters what it takes Luke to write in close to 18 chapters, right? And again, the word gospel means good news. And the people who wrote the gospels, including Mark, were convinced that Jesus was the good news for the whole world. Okay? And, 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 and so um, humans um, love to ask what I call the greatest question. The greatest question, right? What was the, the greatest empire in world history? The Egyptian, the, the Roman, the Greek? Who was the greatest leader in world history? Was it, was it Jesus? Was it Muhammad? Was it Gandhi or Mother Teresa or, or Augustus Caesar? Right? Who's the greatest athlete of all time? Is, is it Michael Jordan or Usain Bolt or Muhammad Ali or Wayne Gretzky or Serena Williams or Simone Biles? What is the greatest movie tril trilogy ever made? Is it The Matrix, Lord of the Rings or Star Wars? or maybe Toy Story, right? And, and what about this one? Where, where's the greatest place on earth to get barbecue? Is it, is it Kansas City, Kansas, or Kansas City, Kansas, right? That's an easy one. But, but my point is, is that interest in the greatest questions is not new, right? They go back even to the time of Jesus, right? When a religious leader asked our Lord and Savior about the greatest, the most important of all commandments, 
And so again, what I want us to consider over the next 25 minutes or so is that to fulfill the greatest commandment in the Bible, to love God and to love each other, we must first be reconciled to God and to a lesser extent, each other. And we're gonna talk about a few different themes throughout that context, right? That, that we are to love God with our whole being. We're gonna see that in verses 28 through 30. The second point I wanna make is that we are to love God. Um, we are to love our neighbors, excuse me, genuinely, right? We're gonna see that in verses 31. And then the final point as we close is that such love is critical to salvation. We're gonna see that through verses 32 through 34. And so again, please feel free to re read with me if you have your Bibles. We're gonna camp out on Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 34, right? So one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all of your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You're right in saying that God is the one. And there is no other but him. To love him with all our heart, with all our understanding, with all of our strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves is more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus said that he had saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you're not far from the kingdom of God. And then no one dared ask him any more questions. Right. And so let me give you a, a, a little bit of context in terms of what we're actually reading. That passage really starts out. Um, if you look at chapter 11 with Jesus actually debating the Pharisees, the, uh, the Sadducees and the Herodians, right? Those who are actually questioning his authority and, and trying to catch Jesus in his words so that, so that he might be arrested and killed. For they feared him. They feared his following. They feared his teaching, right? And so one of the teachers of the law came over to Jesus, right? And liked how he answered their questions, right? And he had a question of his own. Again, out of all the commandments, right, which one is most important? And according to Mark, the, the scribe or, or, or this teacher of the law was sincere, right? Because there had been lively discussions between the Pharisees and the Sadducees on which law is most important, which is the greatest law, right? And they oftentimes competed, right, in terms of which teacher can actually do the best job of actually summarizing the entire body of laws into one commandment. So again, not only did they actually compete with each other, but they had some problems, theologically speaking, right? The rabbis had actually determined that there were actually 613 commandments in, in, in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, right? There's actually, again, one commandment, again, for each letter of the 10 commandments, 613, right? And so out of the 613, there's like 250 of them were seen as positive, right? And the others were seen as, as negative or unfavorable, unfavorable. Moreover, again, they were divided by those laws, right? And they would divide them into which laws are heavy and which ones are light, right? Which ones are more binding? Which ones can we actually overlook? And the big problem in that time is that, again, they couldn't agree on which ones were heavy out of 613, which ones are light, which ones should they obey over others, right? What if two of the commandments conflicted, right? 
One of the commandments says that on the eighth day, you should actually circumcise your son. Another commandment stated that, that uh, you shouldn't do any work on the Sabbath. But, but what if the eighth day actually occurred on the Sabbath? Which, which commandment should they follow? Right? So I believe that this teacher of the law tried to get a really sincere answer to a real problem. Out of all the commandments, which is the greatest? Right? And so this brings us to our, our, our first point of that, that we're to love God supremely. We're going to see this in verses 28 through 30. Right? And so, again, if I, if I go back through those, um, we see that really underneath that, this, this tendency, this, this commandment to love God supremely, to love God with all of our being, that, that it really boils down to loving God for who he is, right? We're going to see that in verse 29, right? How did Jesus answer the, the teacher of the law, right? Jesus says in verse 29 that the most important one is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Right? I'm, I'm not sure about you, but I find it strange that, that, that this is Jesus' answer, right? That he says, Lord our God, the Lord is one. Right? Why would he say that? And actually what we see is that what he's actually doing is he's summarizing the Ten Commandments, right? And, and, and this is the first part of it. So it's not really that strange at all, right? This was the truth that was revealed to Israel, that God is the one, that, 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 that this one God created all things, and he sustains all things, and he governs all things. And that truth stood in radical opposition to all the religions of the ancient Near Eastern world. This is, this is a powerful statement, right, of the uniqueness and the exclusivity of, of God, that our God is God alone, that our God will only accept our exclusive worship, our love, our devotion, our allegiance, right? And so, again, the teachers of the law, they could debate all they want. The theologians could debate all they want. But Jesus brings them right back to the basics, right, the fundamental non-negotiables of the faith, that there is but one God. But there is but one God, right? How radical is that statement, right? That, that again, only the God as revealed through the Bible is the true God and all other gods are false. All other religions are, are misleading, right? That's a powerful statement, right? And it, it might help to understand their culture and why this would be important, right? That the first readers of this text, that they lived in a period where they were surrounded by people, right? That believed that there were many gods, not just one. And furthermore, they were actually attacked by those people. They would say that, what makes you think that your God is greater than, than the God of the Quran? Right? The, the, the God that Jehovah Witnesses, that, that they worship. That the God of, of Mormonism, what makes your God so better? Right? And again, again, so you, you can see that it's, it's similar to our times today. Right? That the world we live in is actually very relativistic. Right? That people say that, you know what, if Jesus is good for you, then he's good for you, but he's not good for me, right? Again, just because people have this thought doesn't actually make it true, right? And as again, as our society has turned more relativistic, right, we kind of lost the, the, the concept of absolutes, right? That there are such things as right and wrong. And there are no other gods except the God of Israel, the Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, right? That again, we should love God for who he is, the only God, the one true God. The second part of that is that we should love God wholly and completely with our entire beings, our entire selves, right? So again, this is still under that theme of loving God supremely, right? And as we see in, in, in verse uh, 30 of this, that it says, 
love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Right? Pay attention to the repetition of the word all. It's used four times and it's very significant as it emphasizes really the comprehensive nature of how we are to love Yahweh or Elohim. Right? Or another way of saying it is that the Lord our God. What is called for is, again, a total response of love and devotion to our great God, the one true God. Right? And indeed, that fourfold use of, of, of heart and, and soul and mind and strength is intended not just as kind of a psychological uh, outlook of human personality, but a call to love God wholly and completely. Right? That the heart speaks to our emotions, right? the real me on the inside. That the soul speaks to our spirit or self-conscious life, right? That, that the mind speaks to our, our intellect our, and our thought life, right? And the strength speaks to our bodily power and maybe even our desires and our wills, right? So it's, so it's easy to see that those categories actually overlap, right? And what Jesus is doing at this point is he's actually quoting out of De- Deuteronomy chapter six, verses four through nine, which is actually known as the, the Shema, right? In Hebrew, it's, it, it translates to hear, right? And this is more of a, a Jewish confession of faith that was recited daily, right? And, and in some circles, in some synagogues, it's still recited prior to the message, right? This is really, it's been like similar to how we think of the Lord's Prayer, right? So again, the Shema, it actually, it, this is what Jesus is actually citing when he says to, again, to love God with all your might and all your soul and all your strength. And so I would encourage you throughout this week to to spend some time to reflect on Deuteronomy chapter six, verses four through nine, right? Because we see that the Shema is actually, it's quite instructive, right? And and, and those, the religious leader, the teacher of the law who studied the law, he would know exactly what Jesus is talking about, right? That to, to love God is to obey his commandments and his statutes, right? All the days of your lives, right? And if we look at Deuteronomy chapter six and we read it, from um, verses four to nine, it says that, you know what? To love God means that you would teach these things, his commandments and his statutes, that you would teach them to your children, right? That you would talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along, along the road, when you lie down and when you get up, that you would tie them as symbols on your hands and, and bind them on your forehead, that you would write these commandments and these statutes, you write them on the door frames of your houses, right? And, 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 and on your gates, right? So, so we see that, 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 that when we read Deuteronomy, it actually it extends what Jesus was actually quoting to the, the, the teacher of the law, right? That we are to love God, our one true God. And part of loving God is to follow and obey his commandments and his statutes and to teach them to our children and our grandchildren and to meditate on them day and night, right? And to write them on our houses so that we see them when we leave and we see them when we're entering, right? I think it's really important at this point to, to pause for a second and, and, and to, to make sure that we're clear that obedience without love is legalism, right? That love must come from first, right? And obedience is really our response to that love, right? And I think that's really important, right? I would rather my kids obey me because they want to, right? Not because they feel they have to, right? Because when people feel they have to, then resentment builds. Let's continue to kind of walk down it, and we're going to get into those, those practical applications, right? And how does this have anything to do with the vision of Victory Church to see people reconcile to God and to each other? Right? We see that the second main thing we have is that we are to love our neighbors genuinely, 
We see that in verses 31, right? Let me let me go over that, that verse. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these, right? That our love for our neighbor is a consensual or essential component of our love for God, right? Uh, again, go back to verses 28, that the teacher of the law, or in some of your translations, it says the scribe, asked for the single greatest commandment. And Jesus gave him two. Which, which is really telling because it means that they're related. You can't have one without the other, right? Again, we look at verse 31, it says, the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself, right? And there's no commandments greater than these. However, Jesus is not advocating for self-love, but simply acknowledging our, our natural tendency to, to look out for, for, for number one, right? And he asks us to extend that same kind of love to others, right? Across racial groups across ethnicities, across class and educational um, uh, status, right? Not only are we to give ourselves to God, but we're to give ourselves to each other. Jesus says, again, the second one is like the first because loving others is in fact loving God. The man, the Dante Wright, the Adam Toledo was made in the image of God. So we're not to, to love people for their poor choices or for their sins, but to love the image of God that's in them. We're to love others the same way God loves us, right? Another way of thinking about it is that our love is a barometer. It's a, it's a, it's a gauge that communicates our love for God. Again, the two are connected because how we respond to the first, loving God, will determine how we respond to the second, loving our neighbor, right? And when you obey the second, it gives evidence that you have embraced the first, isn't this the, the very same lesson that Jesus was trying to teach Peter? Right? And in and, and, and the Gospel of John, chapter 21, Jesus appeared uh, for the third time to Peter after the resurrection and the other disciples on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And three times Jesus asked them, Peter, do you love me? Peter said, yes. Peter, do you love me? Peter said, yes. Peter, do you love me? Growing more frustrated, Peter said, yes, Lord, you, only you would know. Right? In response, Jesus told him, then feed my lamb and tend to my sheep. Right? To demonstrate your love for me about how you take care of others. Who are our neighbors? Anyone outside of ourselves. Right? And so when, and when Jesus is, is talking to us about the importance of actually loving our, our neighbors, Again, he's going back. He's actually quoting from the Old Testament, right? He's quoting from Leviticus. Again, the, the, those who are reading this text for the first time, the, the teacher of the law who is hearing this, he's very familiar, right? That Jesus, again, he's adding Leviticus chapter 19 to complement Deuteronomy chapter 6. Right? Will you actually read, and I encourage you, again, as you meditate on Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 5, that you do the same with Leviticus. Chapter 19, that when you read Leviticus chapter 19, you discover that loving your neighbor as yourself, it means a lot, right? I won't go through all of it, but if we look at verses 10 through verses 18, we see that, you know what? Um, it actually means that, you know what? You care for the poor, that, 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 that you do not steal, that you do not lie, that you're fair, your business dealings with others, that you care for the deaf, you care for the blind, you deal justly with all. You avoid slander, 
right? Right? You don't jeopardize the life of your neighbor. You don't hate your brother in your heart, right? That you rebuke your neighbor when necessary for his and your good. That you do not take revenge or bear a grudge against others, right? Like, like God doesn't leave it to our imagination of what he means when he tells us to love our neighbors as ourselves. He's, he's, he, he, he's very black and white in terms of being very clear on what that is, right? And, and, and now this is the great tension break. Right. So, so one of the things that I've learned from Pastor Paul is that when we're actually analyzing and reading the text, that we have to think about what's the tension in the text? What's the tension in the, in the, the message given so far? Right. And this is where the tension actually aligns with the, with the mission of, of Victory Church. And in, in my opinion, with every other church that bears the image of Christ. Right. It's clear that love is so important. Right. But we have to realize that the passages that we're reading, that we're talking about, is not about promoting like love in general. As, as we think about love for other things, like I love to play basketball, right? I love strawberry pie, right? I love going to the gym, right? Instead, Jesus is referring to specifically our love for God, that this is, again, the greatest commandment. However, one of the first things that we must understand is that, that mankind that doesn't love God in our natural state. We might be tempted to think that some people naturally love God and, and there's others who don't, right? But the Bible declares that all human beings are at enmity with God, right? Instead of having love for God, we have natural aversions to him, right? Think about First Colossians. He says, once you're alienated from God, you were enemies in your mind because of your evil behavior, right? Again, the, the point is that because of our evil heart in our natural state, we don't love God. It's not something that we can actually bring out. It's not within our control because we are sinful and the, the darkness hates the light. Right? It's, it's, it's not that we're somehow uh, un, unwilling to love God with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind, but that the fact is that we're unable to. Right? The, the doctrine of, of total depravity asserts that people are, as a result of the fall, that, that we're inclined, uh, we're not inclined or even able to love God with all of our heart, mind, and soul. Rather, we're inclined by our natural tendencies to actually serve our own will and our own desire and to reject his rule, right? Sinful man, apart from Jesus Christ, is opposed to God and in everything that is of God, right? Our sinful nature disobeys God's laws and, and disbelieves the gospel, the good news, right? Even when we think about Jesus' brother, he talked about how hard it is actually to, to live this out, not just the love of God, but our love of neighbor. He says in James chapter three, verses nine, that with our tongue, we praise God, the father, our Lord. And with it, we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. And, and again, just look around the world. We don't see much love for our fellow men, right? even in the church. And again, our relationships get strained and broken because again, it's so hard to love others if we're honest, right? We, we, we are, again, we're commanded to put the love that we have for God onto other people. There to be the outlet for all the pent up love that we have for God, right? That, that loving others is to be expression of our love for God. But how can we do this? Because we're so sinful, right? Jesus says to love God, Jesus answers this question. He says, to love God, we must be born again. We need to ask 
God for his help and, and, and to be born new. And, and, and stay with me. Don't, don't tune out. Right? I, 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 I want to dig a hole and I want to put us in there. I want to bury us in there. Not so that you feel blame or shame. So, so, so that we might look up and we, we, we might see the depths of, of God's love and his mercy and his grace upon us. That we might look up and, and see the hand of God reach into the earth and pull out unlovable people and draw them closer to himself. We see that, 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 that the God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, while God was the farthest thing from our mind, that Christ died for us. And we're to be in awe of him. This is how we know what love is, that, that Christ laid down his life for us. That God is a reconciliation, the re- reconciliator, and reconciliation is his work. Right. That, that this is love, 1 John, one of my favorite books. Not that we love God, but that God loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for us. That God's holiness demands punishment for human sin. Therefore, out of love, God sent his son to make a substitutionary atonement for the believer's sins. And this way, God's wrath is satisfied. His wrath against Christian sin has been turned away and directed towards uh, Christ on the cross. That you have to understand, in order to to understand the the, the good news, the gospel, you have to understand the bad news that precedes it. That we're totally sinful. We can't do good. That we're in need of a savior. And Jesus is that reconciliator. He he is that savior. That's the only way the good news is the good news. There has to be bad news that precedes it. So, so, So now more of that good news that, Everyone who repents of their sin and trusts in Jesus, you know, has Christ's righteousness accredited to their counts and has their sins nailed to the cross with Christ, right? So that they bear it no more, right? They're forgiven. They're cleansed. They're made new creatures through through Christ, right? They're joined together with Christ and all the benefits that of Christ becomes theirs through faith, including, again, the promise of everlasting life and everlasting fellowship with God, right? And enjoy a basket, the joy of basking in his love and his glory for, forever. Right. So again, my appeal to you is that again, if you have not yet trusted Christ, that you would hear this message and understand it. Trust yourself to Christ. Call upon his name, right? For everyone who calls upon his name shall be saved. That this is our hope for you. This is my hope for you. Right. That, that, that again, in, in order for us to actually fulfill the greatest commandment as told by Jesus Christ to, to love God and to love each other. We must first be reconciled to, to Christ. We must be first reconciled to God and to a lesser extent each other. Right? That, that, that you can't separate the two. Right? That on our own, we can't love God in the ways in which we're commanded to love God. On our own, we can't love each other the way in which we're commanded to love each other. Right? And that really brings me to my last closing point. Really that, again, such love is critical to salvation. Such love is critical to salvation. If if we skip ahead and we look at uh, verses 34, we see that the teacher of the law was was encouraged by by Jesus's answer to those questions. And he says, Jesus, you are right. He repeats back to Jesus. He paraphrases what Jesus actually just said. And then Jesus brings the, the conversation to a close by telling the man. Let's read that in, in, in verses, um, chapter 12 of Mark, verses 34. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you're not far from the kingdom of God. 
And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. What, what did Jesus mean by this? You're not far from the kingdom of God. Right? I, th I think the answer is clear that it's not that we need to, to, to try harder, to work harder in terms of reconciliation or fill in the blank. Right? Nothing can be further from the truth. Rather, that the man has to come to see that, that we have to come to see that ultimately eternal life, entering the kingdom of God, is the matter of the heart. Right? Not rituals. It's a matter of a heart devotion, not heart duty. That obeying rules and regulations would never get me into the kingdom of God. Right? That there's nothing I can do on my own to, to measure up to God's perfect standards. Right? I need a new me. I need a new heart, a circumcised heart. I need the grace and the mercy of God who can make me into a new creation, right? We think about 2 Corinthians um, um, chapter 5, verses 17, right? I need to draw near to the one who has brought me into the kingdom, right? That again, we must draw near to Christ. And, and, and when you read this again for the second and the third time, uh, it's actually somewhat discouraging, right? Jesus says, that, you know what? You're not far from the kingdom of God. And, and you have to know that there's a difference between being in the kingdom of God and not being far from the kingdom of God. Right? Like, like go back to, to, to verses 28. That, that this teacher of the law was sincere in his, in his interest in, in Christ and his answers. Right? That he was a teacher of the law, that he knew the Bible, that he studied the Bible, that he read the Bible, that he spent hours on ends copying the Bible, that he was a teacher of the Bible and the word of God. That, that despite those things, Jesus says that you're not far from the kingdom of God. But Jesus didn't say that you're in the kingdom of God. Because right? we know, again, that those things are good. Baptism and participation in the Lord's uh, uh, supper and, and offerings. And, 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 and again, reading the Bible and praying. That those things are important. Those things are good. But those things don't get you into the kingdom of, of God that the teacher of the law failed to actually see that he has to actually submit his heart. He has to submit his life to Jesus Christ. Right? And, and, and those other things follow, that, that, that we, we participate in baptism. We participate in the Lord's suffering. We, we give offers, we pray, we read our Bibles, not in order for God to love us or to save us, but we do those things because God does love us, that we are saved. That's why we engage in those activities. And we think about the need for us to, to witness, right? To see people reconciled to God is to share the gospel with people so that they may be reconciled to God and carry on his mission. And it gives uh, the importance of, of thinking about implications such as um, biblical evangelism and sharing the gospel and training ourselves up and encouraging each other, right? That, that, that again, reconciliation must take place, right? And, and really, the, the heaven, the kingdom, churches on earth are really a ministry of reconciliation, right? And so let me close. I know this is like my fifth time saying, let me close. But just some more practical applications, right? That again, what we're really talking about is that we're to love God with agape love, right? And agape love is, is, is doing. It's more of a doing than it is a feeling word, although it involves both, right? Agape love requires action. It requires us to demonstrate our love for God in some practical fashion. Hence, reconciling people to God and to each other, right? The person who actually, who loves God would participate again in worship and try to obey God and will seek opportunities to, to serve. And, and since agape love 
is action oriented rather than feeling oriented, the, 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 the neighbor loving will take practical ways. Um, we will look for practical ways again, again, which to demonstrate that love for our, our neighbors, right? At the micro level, it might involve, again, um, uh, taking care of those who may be sick, right? Or providing a service to your little neighbor. I think of my son, about my son who, who, who shovels our, our neighbor's driveway and sidewalk every time it snows. And it's really op opened up a lot of different opportunities for us to just to interact with our neighbor and prayerfully to, to, to potentially share the gospel with our neighbor, right? I think about some of our victory groups that actually that share meals and they drive around on the neighborhoods of the weekend passing out meals to, 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 to those who are in need, right? At the micro level, it might mean uh, putting your kids in the neighborhood school, right? Despite the school's reputation so that you may be able to actually, again, draw closer to the people in your community and to, to build relationships, right? At a mid-level, it might mean contributing money to actually feed the hungry or volunteering your, your time with, with ministries such as the Abundant Life and, and the City of Promise, which are actually steeped in some of the more marginalized communities within Charlottesville, right? At the macro level, it may mean influencing public policy, right? Helping the needy, helping the poor get on their feet, right? Ensuring just treatment of, of our most vulnerable people and population. Ensuring accountability for politicians and corporations and other people who hold power. But regardless of what level you start at, at every level, it demands that we look beyond ourselves to see, again, our neighbors, their needs, and to take action with those needs. And, and, and so, again, I, I want to pray in closing. And, and, and if you identify with the teacher of the law, that you feel like that you're near the kingdom of God, but you don't feel like you're quite in the kingdom of God. That, that, that I ask you to, to turn to your Christian friend and, and, and to ask him, what does it mean to be in the kingdom of God? And how do I do that? I ask that you would, you, you would you know, um, contact us at Victory Church so that we can walk alongside you, so that we can connect you with others who, who will love on you and help you come to a biblical understanding of your salvation, of what it means to be in the kingdom of God. Right? Help us to, to, to live out our, our mission to, to see people reconciled to God and to, to, to each other. And so, again, I, I leave you this day, and I, I pray that you go in peace, that you be safe. Uh, and then, again, that we, we continue to meditate on what does it mean to, to see people reconciled to God and to each other. Right? And how, is, if we live out that actual commandment or that, that charge, that how it helps us to actually, again, to, to contribute and participate in the greatest commandment ever, which is to love God and to love each other. Right? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this moment. We thank you for the opportunity to break into your word. I pray that you would um, open the ears and open the hearts of those who, are, who, who have the opportunity to listen to the message. I pray that uh, my lack of clarity wouldn't be a stumbling block from them actually receiving the gospel. I pray that those who are in Victory Church, those who are all over the world, who are, who are not far from the kingdom of God, but who are not in the kingdom of God, that, that their eyes would be open, that they would repent, they would trust you. They would put their faith and trust in you. Right? That they would actually be able to live out that mission of, of loving God and loving our neighbor. They would be partakers in the ministry of reconciliation. That we would actually exist, Victory Church, that we would continue to exist as a church that's charged with seeing people reconciled to God and seeing people reconciled to each other. We ask that you continue to be with us. Um, we pray for those who, uh, again, um, who may have aversions to this message, we pray that you would just soften, soften hearts. Uh, we ask these things in Jesus' name.
Amen. God bless you, Victory Church, and go in peace.